CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Governor Ron DeSantis once again taking the lead in the fight against COVID-19 mandates, this time calling a special legislative session to push back against federal vaccine requirements for Florida businesses. We'll take a look at the latest from the Sunshine State and the continuing mandate madness in tonight's Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. So this is what you would hope for in a situation where the federal government has run amok and has trampled on individuals' rights, including the right to bodily autonomy, basic freedom. COVID has been the biggest open door to authoritarianism ever in my lifetime, at least. And the left has taken every opportunity to use it to enlarge the power and scope of the government. Turns out there are some Republican governors out there who are at least using their powers at the state level to do what they can in order to protect what little freedom we actually still have. Here is Ron DeSantis' political headline calling for special Florida legislative session to fight Biden's vaccine mandates. Now, let's understand what this means here. Ron DeSantis is calling a special session of the Florida legislature uh, because otherwise they wouldn't be back until January. He's saying, we got to go, we got to do this now. And they're going to pass a sweeping ban on any vaccine mandate in the state of Florida. Employees, employers, customers, you name it, no vaccines allowed to be required in the state of Florida. And this is what is necessary in order to stop the federal government's hybrid tyranny approach of using the private sector by pushing them with the threat of a federal mandate in the background to do their dirty work and make people bend the knee and get the shot. Here is the governor of the Sunshine State himself saying uh, that no one's job should be dependent upon getting the vaccine. But at the end of the day, we're here to announce that uh, you know, we need to take action to protect Florida jobs. And we have a situation now, unfortunately, in our country where we have a federal government that is very much um, trying to use the heavy hand of government uh, to force uh, a lot of these injections. And you have a lot of folks that actually believe that that decision should be theirs and that we believe in having basic medical freedom and individual choice and that your right to earn a living should not be contingent upon COVID shots. Indeed. And Governor DeSantis is doing what he can to protect those freedoms, protect those rights 
against government intrusiveness and government injecting you. What could be more intrusive in so many ways than that? Meanwhile, back in Fauciite fantasy land, there's still the march toward ever more restrictions, mandates, masks, social distancing, all kinds of stuff. Here is the Surgeon General of the federal government, Vivek Murthy, saying that, oh yeah, kids are still going to have to mask up even when they get vaccinated, even though they shouldn't have to get vaccinated because they're at such low risk. He doesn't say that part, I do, but listen to what he says. If you have a vaccinated classroom of school children in third grade, how will that impact the need for them wearing masks in the classroom? Well, it's a really good question. You know, the CDC has guidance currently that says that even if you are vaccinated, uh, you do need to wear a mask. And that will likely be the case for children until the CDC changes it. Until the CDC changes it. So just when does that happen? Until they feel like it? You like having bureaucrats run your life, folks? I don't. Unaccountable, unelected lab coat tyrants. Not even really doing a lot of lab coat stuff, by the way. Mostly they're just bureaucrats shuffling paper around at the CDC. Yeah, speaking of which, Rochelle Walensky, she wants everyone to know that kids should still mask up even when they're vaccinated. Here you go. After we have authorization from FDA and recommendations from CDC, we will be working to scale up pediatric vaccination. That said, it will take some time. And as I just noted, as we head into these winter months, we know we cannot be complacent. We also know that um, from previous data that that schools that have had masks in place were three and a half times less likely to have school outbreaks requiring school closure. So right now we are going to continue to um, recommend masks in all schools for all um, people in those schools. All masks, everybody, vaccinated, not vaccinated, doesn't matter. The mask religion running strong among Democrats, of course. Here's the biggest problem with it. I mean, it's annoying, it's stupid. It's tyrannical. It's also useless. It doesn't work. They can keep saying it does. They are wrong. Aerosolized virus in the air is not stopped effectively at all by a cloth mask loosely draped around the mouths of children sometimes, not all the time. It's idiotic. This is beyond stupid at this point, but people believe it. They believe it. They want to believe it. Here's, for example, you don't take my word for it, a Harvard-trained medical doctor, okay, Florida Surgeon General Dr. Joseph uh, Lapido, who says that the data they have in Florida where there were some schools that had mandatory masking despite a statewide order against it, other schools allowed for choice in masking, guess what? Mask mandate school, mask choice school, no difference statistically in COVID outcomes. Here he is. And just very briefly, in terms of the data that, uh, that supports mask use in kids and mandates for masks in kids, it is very weak, and that's a fact. But there's a substantial gap between the quality of the data out there supporting masks in kids, yielding any benefit for kids whatsoever, factual, and the, what we're hearing from some of our public health leadership in other states and nationally. In Florida, we're gonna stay close to the data and we're gonna let you know how we feel about the data. And the data do not support any clinical benefit for children in schools with mask mandates. The highest quality data find no evidence of benefit. The highest quality data finds no benefit to masking in schools. What is it gonna take, Libs? Stop being crazy.
Stop abusing children because you as adults are having anxiety disorders played out in real time because you've watched too much CNN and you think Fauci is not a little moron. This is where we are. You know who's been a voice of sanity all along in this process? Who's been willing to speak the truth? MD, medical doctor, and U.S. Senator Rand Paul on all this nonsense. Here you go. Any mandate that ignores the science is really arbitrary and capricious and should not be honored. So, for example, many of these policemen and firemen were out there every day. They caught COVID naturally. A hundred million Americans have had COVID naturally and have developed antibodies and immunity to it. Studies out of Israel say that their immunity is as good or in all likelihood better than vaccinated immunity. But the bottom line is all of their arguments fall. They say, oh, the unvaccinated are making us less safe. Well, it turns out that if you're vaccinated, you can carry it also. So there is no perfect perfect safety that anybody can find. And really the ultimate personal choice, the most personal choice of all, is what you inject into your body. Amen to that. All right, coming up, Attorney General Merrick Garland was on Capitol Hill today where Republicans grilled the AG about the Justice Department's recent decision to treat American parents who oppose critical race theory in U.S. schools as domestic terrorists. We'll take a look at what he had to say with the CEO of American Majority, Ned Ryan, after the break. But I want to tell you about a new sponsor here to hold the line, Secure. Big tech is taking advantage of us. They're mining our data, remining our data, selling it, and guess what? We don't benefit from it whatsoever. If you really think your emails, texts, and messages are private and safe, guess what? Think again. This is where Secure comes in. Secure's email platform is 100% private. It's Swiss-hosted because they've got such great laws about privacy there. And with Secure, there's no data mining whatsoever. It's completely private. This is what makes Secure different from every other email and messaging provider out there. Secure is the best email platform in the world when it comes to security and privacy. We need to make a stand and take back our privacy from the big tech monopolies. With my discount code BUCK, Secure will only cost you $7.50 a month for full access, and that's nothing. Go to secure.com today and create your own secure email address and account. Use promo code BUCK for 25% off for a whole year. That's secure.com, S-E-K-U-R.com, promo code BUCK. We'll be right back with more. Hold the line. Attorney General Merrick Garland showed signs of anger after dodging some legitimate questions over the millions of dollars his family made pushing critical race theory onto students through their company, Panorama Education. Check it out. The question is... The thing that has concerned many of those parents that are showing up at these school board meetings, the, the, the very basis of their objection and their vigorous debate, as you mentioned earlier, is the curricula, the very curricula that your son-in-law is selling. This memorandum is aimed at violence and threats of violence. I understand There's that, but no did, did you see, excuse me, did you seek ethics counsel before you issued a letter that directly relates to the financial interest of your family? Yes or no? This memorandum does not relate to the financial interests of anyone. It's a th it's against. I take that as a no. Shortly after, United States Representative Jerry Nadler, of course, came to the rescue, calling the very legitimate question innuendo and demonstrating zero interest in Attorney General Garland's ethical quandary, because of course, I mean, it's a Democrat ethics. <laughs> they think it's hilarious. Ned Ryan, CEO of American Majority and Senior Fellow at American Greatness is here with me to discuss Ned, let's start with this. Uh, Merrick Garland, remember when this guy was just such a, such a good straight shooter down the middle? Put him on the Supreme Court under the Obama administration. What's wrong with the Republicans? Oh, turns out that wasn't really the case, was it? 
No, and you know I'm not the biggest fan of Mitch McConnell's, but I have to thank him for making sure that this. Uh, quite frankly, Buck, I mean, I, I was reminded again. I think we're ruled by an idiocracy, and Merrick Garland today only reinforced that that sentiment. Uh, first of all, he didn't even even ask for an ethics, uh, you know, judgment on this whole situation with his son-in-law. And on top of that, he said, "Well, this is all about violence at school board meetings." When in fact, when he was asked by Chip Roy. Do you know about what's taking place in Loudoun County and the father and the sexual assault? He says, I don't know about that. But that's the basis for the entire letter that informed his memorandum, basically targeting school board meetings with the FBI. Now he's claiming I didn't know anything about this. Well, you mentioned Chip Roy, and we actually we have that. So let's play it for everybody. Check it out. Are you aware further that the boy was arrested and charged for the first assault in July, but released from juvenile detention? It sounds like a state case, and I'm not familiar with it. I'm sorry. Do you agree with Loudon parents? You said it is not okay to allow a child that has been charged with a rape to go back into a school in that public school system. Again, I don't know any of the facts of this case, but uh, but uh, the way you put it, it certainly sounds like I would agree with you. But FBI, I don't know the facts of the case. Is the FBI or the Department of Justice investigating the Loudon School Board for violating civil rights or under authority of, say, the Violence Against Women Act? Uh, I don't believe so, but I don't know the answer to that. I'd ask why not, because on June 22nd at a school board meeting in Loudoun County, Virginia, the superintendent, Scott Ziegler, declared in front of the father of the girl who had been raped that the predator, transgender student, or person simply does not exist. What do you make of all the, I don't know the facts of that, from the attorney general? Boy, he came off as a regular Sergeant Schultz saying, I know nothing. Uh, I would point out Chip Roy, by the way, grew up in Loudoun County. He's very familiar with Loudoun County, Virginia, even though he represents a district out of Texas. I love that whole series of questions, Buck, because it really did put Merrick Garland on the spot of how can you not know anything about this case, which was used as the basis for your memorandum to target school board members, uh, school board meetings and parents. And now you're claiming you don't know anything about it. I mean, it truly was one of those situations where. You were reminded yet again, thank God we didn't have this guy on SCOTUS. But at the same time, this is the Attorney General of the United States who clearly is either lying to us. And I have to think, Buck, he can't be a complete idiot, right? So he's got to be lying to us about a lot of these things and trying to, to basically dodge these questions, whether it's on the school board or whether it was January 6th. Uh, but he is a hardcore, hardcore partisan. If he wasn't, he wouldn't be AG in this administration. You know, we're looking at this now, wondering how is it possible that Attorney General Garland, and by the way, you're completely right about him being a hardcore partisan, otherwise the Biden administration wouldn't have him in this role, but Correct. he had this letter released from his office, but then claims he didn't know about the case that really is the only instance of a parent that they're arresting because of a threat at a school board meeting that wasn't even really a threat. He just seemed threatening because his daughter had been sexually assaulted and he was upset about it. I mean, it's the story is just unbelievable the way this was handled by the, the authorities in this instance. Well, hey. But 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 real real quick, Ned, I mean, Jim Jordan pressed Garland on, was this the National School Board Association just getting their way with you? Is that why that letter came out from the Attorney General's office? Watch. Um, Is there any connection, or, Mr. Attorney General, with the school board letter and then five days later, your memo to uh, uh, regarding school board issues? Obviously, the letter, which uh, was public and asked for assistance from the Justice Department, was brought to our attention, and it's a relevant factor. In huh. Why is that a relevant factor, Ned? It's an activist group that doesn't want parents speaking out at meetings. 
Well, this this to me stri- strikes me as active collusion uh, between this activist organization and, quite frankly, the Biden White House. We're now seeing reports that the Biden White House was fully aware of this letter before it was released, which again then informed Garland's memo uh, targeting parents at these school board meetings. No, this is this is collusion between a leftist administration, which, quite frankly, I'll repeat again, I find deeply unconstitutional, even lawless, and far left activists combining their powers to target parents who might have real questions, Buck, about how their children are being educated using their taxpayer dollars. And the thing that's amazing to me in all this, Buck, they're not just targeting Republicans. There are Democrats and independents showing up at these school board meetings saying, enough is enough. Stop trying to indoctrinate our children and start teaching advanced math classes and other advanced courses and stop limiting our children's future. So they're targeting not just Republicans, but Democrats and independents as well. Ned, wanted to hear also from you as somebody who knows well national politics quite well, but very much so also the situation in the state of Virginia. Loudoun County is in Virginia. That's where this assault took place that then got all this attention. Then you have this letter about the parents speaking out. Loudoun County, Virginia has become a frontline battle of parents versus the left-wing apparatus and CRT. And we also have a governor's race playing out there. It's going to be decided the next couple of weeks. What can you tell us about this McAuliffe versus Youngkin throwdown in Virginia? Well, based off the public polls, it's obviously a dead heat, but the enthusiasm gap is 23 points in Republicans' favor. I've seen polls, Buck, that are that are internal polls showing Youngkin up by three. Just so people know, you know, Youngkin, if, if he's up by three, he's got to win by at least two for us to take those six House of Delegate seats back to take the majority in the House of Delegates. I think if he wins by two or three points, he'll also pull, win some Sears and Jason Miari's across the finish line as well. I mean, we're 12 days out. It's on a razor's edge, but it's not impossible that we could have a clean sweep here in in Virginia with Republicans. But 12 days to go and and Democrats are already trying to pull dirty tricks in Fairfax County. So a lot of time left before the elections to see what happens. Real quick, Ned, we'll have you back on to talk about it when this actually when the votes are being tabulated. But if if Youngkin wins, is the soccer mom insurrection, so to speak? part of what, what would have propelled them in your mind? Yeah, I, th- I think that's going to be part of it. You look at some of these numbers in the northern suburbs, which, of course, very key to winning the state. You see some of that that support from some of these su- suburban moms. About the education issue, I'd remind people, last thing, Buck, over 60% of the people, when they were questioned, what is the most important issue for this for you in this election? It's education, and it's not more education dollars. It's stop using our school system as indoctrination centers. Ned Ryan, always good to see you, my man. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Buck. China is rapidly rising in both economic and military influence around the globe, leading many analysts to predict the communist nation could eventually replace the U.S. as the world's most powerful nation. We'll come back in a moment to talk to former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense Elbridge Colby about how the U.S. can confront the growing threat posed by China and what should we do if we try to take Taiwan. Right now, I want to talk to you about my digital money, crypto. Huge gains possible, right? Very volatile market. Big ups, big downs. People have made spectacular wins. But if you've never invested in crypto, how do you get started? Well, that's where my digital money comes in. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with incredible customer service. They'll actually answer your phone calls and help you get started with this. Your comfort and security is their absolute top priority. Look, the crypto market's heating up again. This might be the best time in a long time to get into this exciting technology-based investment. When it comes to your money, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals who have your back, speak to you honestly, and treat you like a human, not a number. 
Check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. Again, that's MyDigitalMoney.com, and we'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It was the late 19th century when the United States became the largest economy in the world, but today our country's superpower status seems to be slipping. While mainstream media chooses to push the left's agenda on mask mandates, critical race theory, open borders, all that, they fail to tell you the severity of China's increasing threat to the United States and the global community. China is on its way to becoming the new superpower of the world, and if America doesn't act quickly, we will lose this important race. In his new book, The Strategy of Denial, former defense official Elbridge Colby offers a clear, rigorous, and accessible way forward for the U.S. at this dangerous and challenging time. He joins us now to discuss the U.S. and China squaring off on the world stage. Bridge, good to see you. Great to be here, Buck. Thanks for having me. So the starting point in your book is that American supremacy or assumed supremacy at a minimum is gone. What should we know about this? That, I think that's a little bit jarring for people to even think about, never mind to have to deal with for the future. Well, I think it is jarring, but I think it's a fact. John Mearsheimer has a very uh, important piece in the current issue of foreign affairs saying, look, we actually abetted another superpower's rise, which may be unprecedented in history. I mean, the facts of the matter are that, you know, China, as Napoleon said, when it wakes up from its long slumber, the world will shake. And that's what's happening. I mean, there are immensely a lot of immensely productive people there and there are a lot of them. And I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, we don't need to be the world's only superpower to be great, to be America. But we have to grapple with the consequences, which are very, very real and require, I think, a jarring shift in thinking. Now, according to a, surpri a surprise report, China tested a nuclear hypersonic missile this past August that circled the globe, demonstrating the communist nation's advanced capabilities in this area. What, what do you make of this? I mean, people are, are a lot of very few folks are even familiar with what a hypersonic missile would mean. What would this do? And how do we line up against China in this realm of who's got the, let's be honest, the biggest, baddest, fastest missiles? Well, I think it's extremely disturbing, not so much necessarily the particular technology, but what it says about what the Chinese are capable of. And I think you see this overall in their economic power. There are a lot of people out there who want to just say, hey, the Chinese are going to collapse. That's possible. It is possible. But I think it's unlikely. I mean, American money, unfortunately, is indicating that people think that the Chinese are going to continue to grow. I mean, they're really at the forefront of artificial intelligence, a lot of other critical technologies and hypersonic missiles, which are really important for the future battlefield. And the fact of the matter is that we've been sort of slumbering more than sort of. We have been basically slumbering and the Chinese have really made a lot of progress. 
And that's going to that's going to be big. It's going to be both in the critical theater, which is Asia. It's half of world GDP. But it's also going to be at home. The Chinese can reach and hit us at home. And they're a huge country, huge economy. So we really need to focus and prioritize there and not underestimate their potential, which is very, very significant. Let's talk about Taiwan for a moment. There have been a number of really bellicose statements from the Chinese Communist Party and the media organs, which obviously they control all the media in China, uh, about the intentions they have toward Taiwan, warning off the U.S. or anybody else from getting involved here. And even long-term China and Taiwan watchers have started to feel like the temperature is rising in a way that's not just for show, that could be indicative of intent. What do you make of that bridge? And why should the U.S. care about Taiwan, whether it goes to China or not? Let me answer your second question first, Buck, which I think is a critical one and an absolutely rightful one to ask. The American people deserve a good answer, and they and, the, and there is one. The reason why Taiwan's significant is twofold if we look at it from the perspective of American self-interest. The first is that, look, this is really about who dominates Asia. It's not that we want to dominate Asia, but we don't want China to dominate Asia. If it dominates Asia, it's going to dominate 50 or more percent of global GDP, and it will absolutely change our lives at home. And because of that, we have to put together a coalition that's strong enough to, to check China, which, again, is an enormous country with immense capability. And that's going to include a wide range of companies, uh, countries, Japan, India, et cetera. Taiwan is important because it's a critical signal of our resolve there. That's the kind of the steel and the spine of our coalition there. And whether we like it or not, we are tied to Taiwan. Our credibility is tied to Taiwan. And the critical countries, Japan, uh, Australia, the Philippines, South Korea, they're going to be looking at how we're, how we're standing up for our commitments in Asia uh, that are relevant with Taiwan. The second part is what you know MacArthur said it 75 years ago, but it's still true today. Taiwan is a critical part of the first island chain, an unsinkable aircraft carrier. If the Chinese take Taiwan, our military and strategic position in Asia will be seriously undermined. So these are important interests. They're not existential interests, but they are important. And we got to figure out in a way to, 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 to fight for them in a way that doesn't ask too much. At the same time, the Chinese, to your first question, they have stolen a march on us. Three reasons. One, they want it, both for irredentist reasons. They want it. They consider it part of their territory. Secondly, to embarrass us. Second big point, uh, they have now increasingly the capability. They've been developing a military to take over Taiwan while we've been distracted. Third, they may see a window of opportunity because we're finally, albeit too slowly and fitfully, getting focused. So I think in the next couple of years, there's a very real possibility of the Chinese taking serious military action, namely an invasion against Taiwan. And they could win. What do you think, given what we have seen from this Biden administration in the last nine months, uh, the first year of obviously the Joe Biden presidency, the, I think, universally understood by everybody who knows anything, uh, absurd and inept withdrawal process, different from the decision to end the war, how the war was ended, a lot of people see as evidence, very clear evidence of an incompetent administration. So that does not uh, steal people's spines for the future if things get really hot anywhere in the world when it comes to national security. What do you view as the Biden administration's real commitment to not just Taiwan, but to Chinese uh, to, to containing China? Well, I'm, I'm worried. I'm encouraged by the fact that they talk about China and they say China is a challenge and a threat, but it tends to be in very generic terms. There was an article in the New York Times by David Sanger earlier this week where this unnamed White House official, senior White House official was saying, hey, 
this is not a military competition really in a very serious way. We're going to joust, to use the word joust, but we're really going to be focusing on the political and economic uh, and technology competition and in you know, the WHO or the WTO. Meanwhile, the Chinese are testing hypersonic rockets, right, and dramatically increasing the size of their nuclear forces. So the Biden administration may not think it's going to be a military com competition or conflict, but the Chinese haven't signed on to that. And that's where, I th that's where I'm worried. I, I don't question that they're focused on China in some way, but I do question whether they have the resolve for what could be a very acute confrontation and military conflict. I think what the a basic kind of elemental human logic of what the Trump administration was doing was to say, we need to communicate not only to China, but also to everybody else in the region that we mean business and we are prepared to take cost and risk and incur it as well. And I don't think anybody had was confused about that. Well, I mean, I, I, some people may have been confused, but I, I think that was clearly conveyed, the willingness to really shake the apple cart and say, we are going to have a confrontational posture towards China. We're going to have a trade war. We're going to change and talk about them as our number one defense priority and preparing for war. That's the best way to deter the outcome that we all fear, which is, God forbid, a major war. And I'm worried about that with the Biden administration. Elbridge Colby, good to see you, my friend. Thanks for being with us. Great to see you, Buck. Thanks for having me. Hundreds of Netflix, Netflix employees staged a walkout over the streaming platform's continued support of comedian Dave Chappelle. Coming up, the First TV's Tiana Lowe joins us to discuss the protests and the potential endgame for LGBTQ plus activists. But I want to talk to you about protecting yourself from online criminals. Look, the biggest threat you got out there in the cyber realm is not some thief stealing your credit card. The massive risk that you face is that that thief takes over ownership of your home. It's called home title theft. The FBI calls it one of the fastest growing crimes out there. Cyber criminals simply hack into vulnerable government bank or mortgage company servers where copies of your home title is in fact stored. The thief then forges your signature stating you sold your home to him. Then he borrows on your home and leaves you in debt. You won't know until collection notices show up. Protect your most valuable asset. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim. Use promo code RADIO for 30 free days of protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com, promo code RADIO, HomeTitleLock.com. TNLO coming up after the break. Stay there. Tensions flared as Netflix employees participated in a walkout to Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Support their trans colleagues and 
protest the company's continued support of Dave Chappelle's most recent special, The Closer. Now, Netflix CEO Ted Sarandos admits he, quote, screwed up, saying his remarks on content not causing real-world harm was also an oversimplification and lacking in humanity. Oh, boy. Tina Lowe, contributor here at The First TV, joins now to discuss. Tina, good to see you. Good evening, Buck. Hi. So the Netflix CEO tried to stand for content and free speech for like a day, and then the sad semi-walk back underway. What happened here? Obviously, Netflix just wants to be eaten last. The revolution always eats its own, and they're just trying to delay how long their cancellation takes. You know, Susan Rice used to be on the board. They gave contracts to the very woke Obamas, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. And, you know, Chappelle decided to to touch the third rail, which is now apparently the whole trans thing. It first came Me Too, which was replaced by BLM, and now it's the trans thing. The Trans Employee Resource Group at Netflix, which obviously exists, but I'm just learning it now, has released a list of demands, you know, because a list of demands always shows the negotiations are in good faith uh, for the company ahead of yesterday's walkouts. Uh, content investment. These are the trans community demands. Content investment, create a new fund to specifically develop trans and non-binary talent, employee relations and safety, recruit trans people, especially BIPOC, for leadership roles in the company. I believe that is um, black, indigenous, and people of color, if my woke, uh, wokeology is correct. Eliminate references imagery of transphobic titles or talent inside of the workplace, harm reduction, Acknowledge the harm and Netflix's responsibility for this harm from transphobic content, and in particular harm to the black trans community. Woo, Tiana, there's a lot of stuff there. Uh, what do you make of it? Okay, I really want to know. Netflix is headquartered in Hollywood, which is, you know, a D plus 40 town. You walk through West Hollywood and there are rainbow flags everywhere. What is the harm being done to Netflix employees? This isn't, you know, this isn't rural Kentucky in an evangelical church, let alone the Taliban. Everyone's using their preferred pronouns. No one is throwing the fit about who's using what bathroom. So really, what is the harm? What, what, in what ways are they actually being discriminated against to the point where they aren't even saying discomfort, they are saying harm. That implies something physical. And the truth is it's not because we just live in this weird dystopian society where Words are violence, but actual violence isn't violence. You know, and Chappelle's just proving them right. I mean, it's amazing, actually, the trans activists and a bunch of mostly white leftists staged this walkout protest at the Netflix headquarters, you know, because of the Dave Chappelle special. We see here, for people wondering, a guy showed up. There are some people who showed up with, I like jokes, we like Dave, and like, uh, I think those are most of the, basically, we like Dave and we like jokes, and the trans activists, as you can see, ripped it out of his hands. That's destruction of property. It's actually not okay. Destroyed his sign. And then my favorite part, Tita, was once they had destroyed his sign, they claimed the pole that he had to hold the sign <laughs> up was a weapon. And then you see this lunatic here doing this sort of passive aggressive, like, you're not in my space. I'm in your space. You're not in my, I'm in your space. You're in, like, what is wrong with these people? Whenever I see these sorts of blowups, these workplace blowups, and like even at the New York Times when they were putting axes next to Barry Weiss's name, driving the audacity to publish Jewish voices, 
I wonder what the hell would it be like to work at these places? Can you imagine? I mean, you know, maybe 30 years ago, conservatives were the ones that were a little bit too up in everyone else's business. But now we are just leave me the hell alone. Just get along with your colleague. It seems like this just seems like it'd be a toxic place. How many people are saving Slack chats because someone uses the wrong gender or makes a slightly off color joke? So then they can use it to get them canceled publicly. I mean, this is it, 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 it borders on a mental illness. And I say this is someone who's fine calling Caitlyn Jenner a she and all that. Like, but this is what's being incurred because a program had someone make a joke. They're trying to censor jokes, comedy. Yes. Oh, very aggressively. They say that comedy is violence now. At times, according to Variety, we saw the video there. They said the Netflix walkout situation threatened to devolve as counter protesters pushed against trans speakers. No trans speakers pushed against counter protesters, but of course they have to lie to make their victimology make sense here. Another topic we, well, we got a little time for, Tina. Uh, MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, we all remember Goodwill Hunting, right? It's where the smart people go. Canceled a science lecture by a geophysics professor after so-called activists launched an outrage campaign against him over his views on diversity. The New York Post put this out there. The fact that such stories have become an everyday feature of American life should do nothing to diminish how shocking they are and how damaging they are to a free society. MIT, one of the greatest universities in the world, caved in so quickly that will only encourage others to deploy the same tactic. And this is all because Abbott said he was previously targeted by graduate students after he started advocating for academic freedom and merit-based evaluations. Basically, Tiana, if you're a geophysicist and you say you think that merit in science should be considered irrespective of gender or skin color or gender identity, you are so abhorrent to the scientific establishment now at places like MIT, you shouldn't be allowed to speak about geophysics, not about affirmative action. You know, when we hear about these blowups in gender studies departments, it's like whatever. The stakes are in the stakes are negative. You know, there are no stakes. Nobody cares what happens to gender studies PhDs. Who cares about the English majors who don't go to law school? Whatever. What is terrifying is that this is now encroaching the STEM fields. Do you want to go? To surgery with a surgeon who only made his way because of affirmative action? Do you, and when it comes to geophysics, do you want the people designing the technology that does fracking or the technology that goes into rockets? Do you want them to be affirmative action hires? I know I don't. I would like my planes to be made by people who 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 were the best in their class, petroleum engineers who were the best in their class. The stakes here are actually high. And not only was this a cancellation in the field of science, it wasn't about the science. The lecture was not about affirmative action. It was about something entirely independent. So they're now canceling people for separate opinions they have about something that they aren't even going to talk about. That I mean, I can't speak for you, but dangerous. I know that when I'm having open heart surgery, if a doctor, you know, uh, cuts the cuts the wrong cord, so to speak, and I'm bleeding out there on the table. I want to at least know that diversity and inclusion was respected by this doctor's hiring. I mean, I want to at least know that the uh, affirmative action hiring was fully, fully respected in all of this. I don't really care about bleeding out as much. Um, I wanted to give you a chance to tell everybody, you, who, by the way, you, you called Caitlyn Jenner she, which is nice of you. I don't, but anyway, but you are a little more to the uh, moderate side on some of these trans rights issues, but you were called transphobic on TV. What happened? 
So Hillary Rosen, who is the founder of Time's Up, remember the organization that was designed after the whole Weinstein thing to help victim advocacy. That is explicitly what her job is. She founded that organization. And we were talking about why why in polling in recent years, women have become less pleased with, with women's status in society. And I brought up, you know, because of BLM, we turned Jacob Blake into a hero, even though he was actually a credibly accused wife rapist. And you know, in Loudoun County, there was a boy wearing a dress who anally raped a teenage girl in the girl's restroom. And instead of the instead of the county keeping him out of school during active active criminal proceedings, which are going on right now, they moved him to another school where he raped another girl. And she said that that, that me mentioning this was transphobic. So ah. the founder of Hollywood's biggest victim advocacy group, Oprah literally gave them half a million dollars, called me transphobic for siding with a victim of a rape. Right, the, you, you talk about the rape victim, yes. but the, the uh, sociopath who thinks he's a woman wearing a skirt who attacked two women is the more important person to protect in terms of reputation according to the Time's Up founder, wow. Good to have you with us, Tina, and uh, don't let them get you down. We got your back. Thanks, Buck. Former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice spare, uh, sparred rather with The View today as she denounced critical race theory. We'll play you that exchange coming up. Right now, I want you to learn about my digital money. Seems like everybody these days wants to invest in crypto because the gains can be huge. I mean, this is a really fast-moving market. That's where my digital money comes in. Because if you've never done this before, how do you get started? Well, you need an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform. My Digital Money is one of the few U.S.-based companies that will answer your phone calls and help you get started. They offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins, trigger orders to help you secure opportunities for gains or limit losses without having to watch your account 24-7, and a Play Money account so you can try things out without risking your cash. Crypto market is heating up. You need a team of dedicated professionals who have your back. That's what you get with My Digital Money. Go to MyDigitalMoney.com. Again, that's MyDigitalMoney.com. We'll be right back with Quick Hits. A teacher sings about how parents are terrorists, and Good Morning America blames this year's turkey shortage on, drumroll please, climate change. It is time for Quick Hits. Oh, yes, it is. Quick Hits are here with us. So, turkey, look. When it's done perfectly, it's pretty good. I think, generally speaking, and the control room can get all mad at me for this, I think generally turkey's a little bit overrated. It's just not that good. I mean, a really good roast chicken versus a really good turkey, I feel like usually you want the roast chicken. But okay, we can do this. I know that's very commie sounding of me, and I'm all about America. So okay, we love turkey, Thanksgiving, all the rest of it. We've got a little problem, though, because it looks like we're having a turkey shortage this year. Not enough turkeys going around. There's a lot of supply chain issues. Are turkeys a part of that situation? No, no, no. Let's not look at the real nuts and bolts of why we might not have all the gobblers we need in order to have a nice, fun Thanksgiving. No, let's blame it all on climate change. According to food analyst editor Phil Limpert, this turkey day you may be paying more and a variety of issues from climate change to the pandemic may be partly to blame. Climate change. Okay, they did say a variety of issues, to be fair. So I kind of oversold that one to you a little bit. But... Climate change, really? That's why there's not enough uh, gobble, gobble, gobble running around? Uh, they'll say anything, won't they? I mean, is anything, for the people who really believe in climate change, is there anything that you can't blame uh, climate change for? 
right? Is there anything out there? I mean, you know, there's uh, bad weather anywhere. Of course, that's climate change. But if the global economy is a little unsteady, climate change. If there's a war, if there's migration, uh, it seems like there's a lot, of, a lot of leeway they give themselves with that one. Former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice had some thoughts on critical race theory, which she shared on The View. I have to say, Condoleezza Rice appearing on The View is interesting because here you have a very high IQ, very intelligent individual uh, appearing on a show that seems to have the dumbest level political analysis imaginable on TV. But Condi Rice is very smart, and here's what she had to say. The way that we're, we're talking about race is that it either seems so big that somehow white people now have to feel guilty for everything that happened in the past. I, I mm -hmm. don't think that's very productive. Or black people have to feel disempowered by mm -hmm. race. I would like black kids to be completely empowered, to know that they are beautiful in their blackness. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, I don't have to make white kids feel bad for being white. Wow. A really eloquent, worthwhile, balanced perspective on the issue. That's, of course, not what critical race theory gives you. Critical race theory is all about power dynamics and making some feel good and others feel bad and some feel helpless and others feel like oppressors. But Condi Rice seems to understand what's really going on here. Uh, here's a teacher singing about how parents are terrorists. You got to watch this one. Here's your ostinato. Terrorist, terrorist, purple, for parents are. Terrorist, terrorist, purple, for parents are. While some had good intentions, they all were misinformed. Now threatening violence, boxing teachers has become the norm. They come to school board meetings with lots of things to say. And they will bully, cuss, or scream if they don't get their way. What can you say other than this is the reason the future of America is in doubt because of teachers like that. Joe Biden says he was involved in the civil rights movement. He actually worked with segregationists to oppose busing, but you know, who pays attention to history? Here you go. And they're following my predecessor, the last president, into a deep, deep black hole in the abyss. No, I really mean it. Think about it. That's what got me involved in civil rights as a kid when I was 26 years old. Yeah, Joe Biden, civil rights hero. The rewriting of history this guy engages in is mind-blowing. But if you remember, he can always claim that he can't remember anyway. So that's a way that he gets out of any responsibility for this. Yep, that's the commander-in-chief, folks. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. No spin news with Bill O'Reilly's up next. Shields high.